You're listening to From the Burgundy Chairs, a podcast for health system leaders created by Santis Health. Hi everyone, my name is Veronica Said and I am a Director of Strategy and Policy here at Santis Health. To recognize the upcoming International Overdose Awareness Day on August 31st, I am pleased to sit down with Penny Merritt to discuss the current state of addiction services in Ontario, reflect on some of the challenges faced today, and how we can work better together to strengthen the addiction sector. Let's first take a moment to properly introduce our guest. Penny Merritt is the Executive Director of Addiction Services Central Ontario, also known as ASCO. Under Penny's leadership, ASCO operates more than 13 treatment programs from different locations in York Region, South Simcoe, North York, embracing a holistic, biological, psychological, social, spiritual approach to understanding addiction, while also using a harm reduction approach to its work. Since Penny joined ASCO in 2014, the agency has grown threefold and is now one of the largest community addiction service providers in Ontario. Penny's career in the not-for-profit sector spans over four decades. Penny, thank you so much for joining us today. We're thrilled to have you here. Thanks, Veronica. Great to be invited. I'll start by congratulating you on ASCO's 40th anniversary this year. Um, The organization has obviously achieved a tremendous amount since being incorporated in 1983. Can you please give us a little bit of an introduction about uh, who you are and what you do? So ASCO is a treatment organization that specializes in substance use and problem gambling. You know, we serve individuals 12 and up, with the majority of our clients being between the ages of 25 and 64. So we have a youth and family team, we have an adult team, and we have many other teams that work with individuals that are seeking uh, support and care. As an agency, we're a lead organization for addictions for York Region, South Simcoe, and North York. And we have a partnership with many organizations to increase addiction programs and services throughout those areas. So what do we provide? We provide individual and group counseling, addictions medicine, case management, some nursing services, peer support services, withdrawal management services, as well as information and referrals. You know, as part of our work, we provide services to specialized populations as well. So we provide services to individuals who are involved in the justice system through our court support services. We provide services for individuals who have housing issues. And, you know, as well, we also provide individuals who are pregnant and or parenting young children with specialized services, among many others. So individuals who come for our services come from all walks of life. They may live and or work in one of the areas where we offer our programs and services. We also have a partnership with the Chippewas of Georgina Island, and we provide services to individuals who live on the island so that they too can access the services and the programs that we have. You know, when we started out 40 years ago, Veronica, we focused on assessments, information, and referrals, really important pieces of our work. With additional funding from the Ministry of Health, and then, of course, through Ontario Health Now, we moved to offering more services to where we are today, where we now have a multitude of programs and services in response to the needs of the communities that we serve. So Penny, we know that the COVID-19 pandemic saw a spike in the rates of addiction across the, uh, across the province, the country. ASCO really stood by the community members affected by addiction through this very, very difficult time. You have been with the organization since 2014, a very long time, nine years. Uh, what can you tell us about the state of addiction and how addiction care has changed in Ontario over the years? So I think you're right, Veronica. 
the pandemic really saw an increase in the rates of addiction across the country, across the province, and across the communities overall. And so, you know, when we think about that, we really have to look at all the additional challenges that the pandemic presented to ourselves and to individuals who are affected by addictions and what they need. So, you know, that's an uh, increase in socialized, uh, social isolation, people who lost their jobs, food insecurity, housing insecurity, employment insecurity, it all just increased and magnified incredibly over the pandemic. Everybody that we served had a multitude of challenges. You know, and we're, we're very fortunate as an agency. We had clinicians who were out there serving our clients to the best that they could, including finding everything, at referrals, any way they could help them, they were out there to help them. But, you know, I'm not sure it was enough in the end, not because our clinicians weren't doing the work that they were doing, but because there were so many different things happening at the same time. It really had a negative impact on the individuals that we served. Their acuity, in, um, their complexity, everything was changing all at the same time while the whole world was trying to deal with a global pandemic and nobody really knew what was happening from one day to the next at the beginning. It was really, really tough. So yes, our client needs have changed. It's not just about that a client's coming and wanting to have their uh, addictions journey continue, but many of them are also dealing with the social determinants of health. And so finding a way to provide supports, whether it's through referrals internally or externally, is a really important part of the work that our clinicians do. And they really believe in it. And so we're really fortunate to have such an excellent group of clinicians working towards providing every single individual that they serve with the best possible service. Veronica, when I think about it, I look and I think about the recent investments over the last few years that both the provincial and federal governments have made in addictions and mental health care. These investments have been really important and an important commitment to care that thousands of Ontarians and Canadians need. But like most healthcare organizations, we are challenged with recruitment. Health human resources throughout Ontario and beyond is something that all health service providers are facing. There are no easy answers, we know that. Our current staffing complement is completely stretched in trying to serve the people that we're serving. And yet, what, what, we, what are we seeing? We're seeing more and more people asking for programs and services. When I look at the wait list that we have, before the pandemic, we had a wait list, but it seemed to be manageable. Now, since the pandemic, our wait lists have soared and it's becoming more and more challenging for us to have a clinician uh, pick up a client in a reasonable time frame. It's a really serious issue and our clinical leadership team is really working hard because they believe that it's really important that an individual who has made that big step to make a call and ask for services gets the appropriate care in as timely a way as possible. But it's really hard to do that when your resources are stretched to the limit. Yeah, additional resources, we're hearing that across the sector. We really, really need additional resources to try to address the need, address the wait lists, work on HHR issues, all of that. Um, shifting focus a little bit to International Overdose Awareness Day, Penny. 
August 31st is obviously coming up, and um, it's also known as World Poisoning Awareness Day, the world's largest annual campaign to end overdose, the overdose crisis, and honor those individuals who have lost their lives, and acknowledge those who are affected by the addiction and overdose uh, crisis in general. Recent data from the coroner's office shows that in Ontario, the number of deaths associated with opioids continues to trend above pre-pandemic levels, with early 2023 figures suggesting that the number of fatal overdoses is not significantly slowing slowing down at all. So my question to you from your perspective of someone as you being on the front lines day to day, can I ask you to explain what the current situation is in terms of fatal drug overdoses in Ontario? Well, first, Veronica, I think we need to take a moment to think about the individuals who have lost their lives and really to acknowledge uh, all those individuals in Ontario and beyond who are affected by addictions and overdose. So the Coroner's Office of Ontario has reported that a number of overdoses, they continue to climb. And in fact, they are above pre-pandemic levels. And in 2021, we were at an all-time high with more than 2,800 opioid-related deaths. That's a huge number of individuals who have passed away from overdose. So when we look at figures from Toronto, for example, and perhaps other communities, there's a suggestion that the majority of these deaths are accidental. What a sad, sad situation. People who are using opioids and other substances, they come from all walks of life. But we have to recognize that the street supply is extremely toxic. And very little has been done over the years to change this. We really must do something as we can't continue to lose so many lives and so many lives of young people. So recently, ASCO recently received funding from Health Canada to implement a harm reduction program in York Region. We're thrilled with the funding and we've partnered with Care Community Connections and Craftsman Centre on this project. Our collective goal is to increase the knowledge and understanding of harm reduction and the importance of using harm reduction principles among individuals who use drugs, health and social service agencies and decision makers. We also want to increase the knowledge and understanding of primary care providers. It's a really important piece and project for us. We really wanna be able to provide individuals with the best possible care they can. But at the same time, while we're doing that, as a society, we really need to look at the street supply. Penny, I love hearing about all the work that you're doing with your partners. Um, A lot of community agencies are, are working together across the system to to figure out solutions for um, what do we need to do to actually address those needs. And so everyone is is, uh, working together. It's been great to see some examples of that. My, my focus for, the, for our next question is, is around government response. So at the beginning of this year, the federal government announced that it will increase health funding to the provinces and ter- territories by $196 billion over the next 10 years. Obviously included in this funding is an effort to address Canada's overdose crisis um, and targeted support for mental health and substance use. Is this really enough 
Uh, from your perspective, what steps must be taken to develop and implement a fully connected spectrum of addictions care and ensure that those experiencing addiction and their families have access to the supports that they need and the services that they need on a daily basis? You know, Veronica, I think it's important to acknowledge the investments that both the federal and the provincial governments have made in recent years. But more resources are needed so that the sector can appropriately respond to the continuing crisis. When I think about other conditions and other illnesses and the investments that we have made over the years, it's really striking that the, the same types of investments haven't been made in addictions and mental health. We do need a strategy for health human resources. There's no question about that. But it's not just for community agencies. It's really for the whole health system. As a system, we need to be able to provide the programs and services that people need. And this stretches right across from community agencies, acute care, long-term care, home care, and beyond. Really important for us to be able to have a system where individuals can come in no matter which door and receive the services they, they need in an appropriate amount of time. Access and choice is fundamental, I think, to health care. We need to recognize that many people are looking for programs and services to be available in their communities. They don't want to travel for long distances and not everybody wants to do virtual services and maybe not all virtual services are exactly what someone should have. We need to be able to address that so that people don't have distances to travel, but also that the services are available when they need them. And, you know, I, I talked about the toxic drug supply before. I really think we need to make a commitment as a society to reduce the harms of the toxic drug supply that currently exists in this country. I know that that means it will be a strong commitment that's going to be required from all levels of government, from health service providers and other organizations that support individuals using drugs. But if we really believe that we need to serve individuals who are using substances. This is one of the most critical things we should be doing. Using a harm reduction approach really means that we will also continue to respect individuals who wish to continue using drugs to individuals who wish to abstain. And it's really important that we respect the individual's choices. It's not our choice, it's the choice of the individual and what they want. We also need to ensure that all of the programs and services use trauma-informed approach and are culturally sensitive. Uh, many health service providers have incorporated this type of an approach into their clinical practice. We need to expand that commitment and ensure that policymakers also understand the importance of a trauma-informed approach and of a culturally sensitive approaches to individuals, their loved ones, and the communities in which they live and or work. When I think about uh, the programs and services that are offered across Ontario in the uh, addictions and mental health, one of the things I think that we always need to think about is where best should these programs and services be? Are they only going to be in urban areas and some rural areas? How do we make sure that it doesn't matter where someone lives or works and that they have access to the programs and services that they need when they need it? Penny, we've covered a lot in this episode. We've covered geographical distribution of services, the different modalities. We've covered the toxic supply, funding. Is there anything additional that you would like our, our listeners, people that are removed from this, people that don't 
live and breathe addictions care every day. Is there anything additional that you would like our listeners who may be further removed from this issue to know about addiction, overdose, or any of the other issues that ASCO helps community members tackle each and every day? You know, Veronica, I think that's a great question. And one of the things I'd like to talk about is stigma. And stigma exists for addictions and mental health and particularly for individuals in communities where it's really hard for people to pick up the phone or to go into an office and ask for support or into a clinic. Because of the stigma, so many people don't reach out for help. And yet, if we made a commitment to decreasing the stigma and really educating people, educating their loved ones, educating employers, friends, neighbors, so that they are not judged I think more and more people will reach out. As we look at decreasing stigma, we can expect that there are going to be more people that are going to be seeking programs and services that are trauma-informed, culturally sensitive, and employ best practices. So we need to see continued strong investments in the addictions and mental health sector so that we can all respond appropriately to each unique community's needs. That's going to be really important for us. And I think that's going to be something that we have to look at as we move forward. That's really huge. We really need a concerted effort to, to try to decrease stigma and, and educate people across both people, just to the, to the general public, but also healthcare providers. Penny, I want to thank you very much for all of your work and for taking the time to join us today to discuss this very important topic. Thanks very much, Veronica. I really appreciated this opportunity. To all our listeners, to learn more about Addiction Services Central Ontario, please visit helpwithaddictions.ca. Thanks for listening. You can find this episode and more on our website at santashealth.ca and on our Twitter at Santas Health. This has been from the Burgundy Chairs.